Welcome to the Public Service Reform Podcast from the Centre for Market and Public Organisation. My name is Ramesh Vaitalingam and today I'm talking to Professor Marcus Mobius from Harvard University who is visiting the centre and we're going to be talking about his research on uh, his students. Uh, you've been uh, doing some experiments on your students, Marcus, is that right? Yeah, that's right. So we, uh, we, did, we did, did a large study uh, in 2005 where we um, first went out and uh, measured the social networks of our students. So every, every student was invited to participate and we had about um, 50, 50 to 60 percent of people uh, participate and they, they basically told us who their 10 best friends are and uh, told us some other basic demographic information. And uh, after that, that phase was, was completed, uh, we uh, did another small baseline study where we basically told them about different product categories, um, cell phones, uh, MP3 players, uh, uh, how much they like new restaurants. And we just wanted to find out basically how much they would value particular products if, if you would offer it to them. And uh, uh, we then chose a subset of this population and distributed actual products to them, uh, which they could use uh, either for free for two months or in the case of services like yoga classes or restaurant vouchers, they just received a bunch of vouchers they could use up. And uh, after another two months, uh, we did a survey with everybody in the subject population and uh, we uh, basically for each product did a little quiz where we asked them different questions about the product and uh, we found out whether you know how much they knew about these products, how much they had learned, and uh, we also gave them the opportunity to submit a bid, an actual bid, uh, for an auction for these products uh, to measure the valuations. And um, uh, concurrently, uh, during the time where people were using the products, we did online advertising, offline advertising. Um, there is a big website, uh, facebook.com, which is very popular in the U.S., which um, about 60, 60% of Harvard students use every day, 90, 95% use uh, uh, weekly at least. Uh, and so we did online advertising for each of the products there, and we also did offline advertising on, in print media, on the student newspaper. And um, each of these ad advertisements will be randomized by, by individual, or in the case of print advertising, we randomized on the house level. So there's different dormitories, and different dormitories so different print advertising. So we could see uh, how much they had learned from specific ads, because some people saw specific ads and other people didn't. And we could compare then how traditional advertising channels affect consumer demand compared to, um, uh, compared to, to social learning, word of mouth. And so in the later analysis, we basically just regressed uh, uh, the the knowledge and the valuations of people, on the knowledge and the valuations of their friends, uh, as well as on whether they had seen a print ad or an offline ad. And uh, what we found was, our main findings were that uh, social learning, first of all, traditional advertising works. So there is, you know, this money is, is, is well spent to some extent, which I guess is good news for, for advertisers. Um, but so does so does word of mouth advertising, and so the best estimates we got was depending on the product category, whether the product was conspicuous or less conspicuous. Uh, uh, one informed, one newly informed subject informs about five to ten uninformed subjects about the existence of the product, and they become informed like him. So what you're really doing is uh, you're trying to get behind what's driving consumer demand, and you're trying to look at yes. the impact of advertising on the one hand 
and the impact of how people relate to each other and whether they tell each other about using products. That's, that's yes. really what yes, we Yes, exactly, because we, um, we know that, that for certain products, I mean, for many product categories, the advertisers uh, go out of their way to, to promote word of mouth. For example, like movies is a good example. Lots of movies are advertised through word of mouth. Some movies are primarily advertised through word of mouth because the distributor wants to wants to uh, save on on marketing uh, expenses, which can be which can be very high. Um, uh, in recent years, more and more companies have also developed uh, tried to develop uh, techniques to to harvest word of mouth in a more effective way. For example, Amazon has a circle of friends. Uh, where you can see what your what types of goods your friends have purchased, uh, if you submit that information, uh, where they basically acknowledge the fact that people recommend movies to each other and other products to each other. So since Amazon sells a range of products, why not? Why not? And since many 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 users are customers of Amazon or have bought some product or another at some point, uh, they try to harvest this kind of information. Um, there are, in many U.S. campuses, there are companies actually working actively to recruit students to basically disseminate information on new products. So they, they basically give them uh, either actual samples and then, uh, or they pay them actually for, a bit more controversial, they actually pay them for convincing others that this is an interesting product. Uh, and so this, these are all basically sort of recent phenomena, trying to sort of build on this basic insight that, that our preferences are to some extent shaped by what our friends tell us. And, uh, um, you know, this experiment is basically designed to sort of open this black box a little bit and give us some idea of like how strong are these effects. And you find the positive, uh, the positive effect for advertising, you say, but word of mouth can have negative effects. Yes. So the um, one, one interesting finding was that... Um, if you look at valuations, valuations can actually be negatively influenced. So some people who use products don't like the products. And in those cases, their friends also don't like the products. Um, so they are better informed, but they also are less likely to buy the product. So basically, if you have a good product, uh, word of mouth can be very effective. Word of mouth is always very effective to inform people about your product. But if you want them to buy it as well, then you better have a good product. If you have a bad product, uh, then word of mouth can actually have the opposite effect, that people are less likely to buy it. And, um, and you've seen examples of this in, in the movie industry, yeah, particularly. Yeah, I mean, if you, for example, if you, look at, if you look at certain types of movies like uh, Pride and Prejudice or Brokeback Mountain, I mean, Focus Features actually does it a lot. They, they, uh, they, they try to minimize on, on uh, advertisement in... in uh, Newspapers and magazines, and instead, what they what they try to do is come out with movies, which they do some advanced screenings or like you know, do a small run in some theaters across the country, and then hope for positive word of mouth to basically keep it going. And uh, sometimes they succeed spectacularly, like with Brokeback Mountain, which had a relatively small advertising budget, given what the eventual uh, box office return for the movie was. Uh, but then there are other movies uh, which are clear clunkers, like uh, Catwoman, for example, uh, which often don't have any advanced screenings uh, because studios basically know that from the first opening weekend to the next there's going to be a huge uh, drop because word of mouth is going to be damning. And what they try to do is just basically uh, do as much 
traditional advertising as possible to generate a big opening uh, because they know that this is going to be their main source of source of revenue. And so, so this is probably the cleanest example where you can see, uh, you know, given depending on the quality of the product, whether whether a studio is whether whether a company is using is relying on one or the other mode of advertising. How does that uh, um, apply to the the big? Uh blockbuster movie of the moment, The Da Vinci Code, which by all accounts is a terrible movie. Um, interesting thing is there that I, I think they could not uh, they could not avoid advanced screenings. For example, it's screened in, in Cannes, and so it was, was unavoidable. But there, it, it had a huge drop, actually. Sort of for, for a big movie, it was, I think, 56% in the US box office, which is pretty big. Uh, and uh, so, so both... Basically, this movie is going to make most of its, uh, most of its return the first, the first weekend. But it did have a huge. It did have one of the biggest advertising budgets ever. So it was, you know, it was unsurprising that it would have a big, big opening, despite the reviews. This research program presumably has application to all sorts of other areas, where where uh, the way people communicate and they interact with each other and they they tell each other about things. What, what? Yeah. So we did we did actually uh, we did another experiment this this semester. We just finished actually last week, and uh, it was was more, was more of an abstract experiment. It was like a treasure hunt, and basically we had. Uh, uh, we had pieces of information out there uh, about uh, a treasure which could be buried somewhere at Harvard. So there were like three, three elements there in the story. Uh, it was a treasure which was either on the ocean, bottom of the ocean, or Mount Everest. It was either discovered by Napoleon or Caesar, and it was either buried under the John Harvard statue or under Larry Summers' office. And uh, so there was basically a one-eighth probability that... You know, if you would just guess each piece of the story, that you would get the story right. And the only thing people knew was that the majority of the uh, majority of the signals we gave them. So we gave them an initial signal, which which was basically a sample story. For example, we told them uh, Napoleon found it on Mount Everest and buried it in Andy Larry Summers' office. And um, the majority of the signals were correct. So that's the only thing they knew. And then we just basically challenged them to sort of share this information and uh, basically see what whether they find the correct information. And what we did was, uh, so Harvard has 12 dorms, and what we did was we basically uh, distributed the information a little bit differently across people. For example, like in some dorms, we gave the information to all the unpopular people. And uh, so the people basically who, who don't have as many, who don't have as many friends. And uh, uh, you know, surely enough, in those storms, basically, it seems that uh, people. So, just you know, we just finished that this last weekend. But uh, uh, basically, that 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 particular treatment, for example, was designed to test whether um, we overweigh information from certain types of people. For example, uh, uh, you know, certain people we know to be well informed, we might just weigh their information more highly than information of other people. And so, for example, in this in this experiment, we rigged information so that we made basically the the most popular people less well informed because giving them we gave them the wrong signals. Um, basically, that that pushed social learning in that particular dorm to the other direction, where they basically learned the wrong type of information. Um, so that's basically that 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 experiment is designed to sort of see you know how do rumors spread. Uh, can can there be wrong rumors? Under what conditions, you know, does social learning not result in the correct story? And what, you know, how 
how how can you what do you have to do to distribute information in such a way that on average people still have the correct information but they somehow don't manage to aggregate it up. Um, other other houses what we did was we basically gave different cliques of people different information because uh, our idea was that basically if you totally randomly distribute it basically you just talk to a bunch of people and then you form a majority of opinion. But if you if you give different cliques different information then uh, uh, then basically you you have these sort of competing opinions because some people become quite convinced that you know it's under the John Harvard statute other people become quite convinced it's in Larry Summers office and then the question is are they able to sort of resolve this conflict are they able to to learn what's going on and uh, you know they only had like about a couple of days to do that and so so in some sense you know this this is a very stylized uh, problem to solve, but in some sense, you know, this is similar to um, problems people have to solve when, for example, there's a bank run. Think about, you know, is a country going to devalue? Should I should I get all my dollar deposits from the bank or not? And uh, there's a very nice story. Uh, very, there's a very nice paper um, by a bunch of Irish economists whose name I forgot is AER 2000, American Economic Review 2000, and what they did was they looked at uh, Irish immigrants. To New York, to New York City, uh, and whether they there were two bank runs in the 1950s, and whether these people actually withdrew deposits um, uh, during the bank run, and what they found, for example, that the best predictor for withdrawing deposits was coming from the same uh, county in Ireland, and they used some very nice imaginative way, marriage records and other other ways to actually get this kind of data, and that basically pretty pretty much showed that there were there was different, you know, there was different information about the validity of, you know, of, uh, there were different opinions out there uh, whether the bank was actually liquid or not. And uh, in some subgroups, in some cliques, people convinced themselves that, you know, the bank is, bank is liquid. Other, other subgroups, they convinced themselves that, uh, uh, you know, we have to get our money out as quickly as possible. And that pretty much influenced their, their decision. And uh, so, yeah. So it's it's basically trying to understand phenomena like that. How does how do people aggregate information uh, when it's sort of time sensitive? Uh, they quickly have to form an opinion. How does how does this how does this how does this happen? And how do rumors uh, how do right or wrong rumors spread? Marcus Mobius, thank you very much. Thank you.